This episode of Ministry Monday is sponsored by Simply Liturgical Music. Simply Liturgical Music is the liturgical music platform that is reimagining the industry. Browse, purchase, and download brand new, affordable music in minutes. Print or download as much as needed with lifetime access to all purchases. Whether it's psalms, hymns, mass settings, or other ritual music, SLM has music composed by a growing network of talented composers from all over the world. Ministry Monday listeners can receive $10 off Advent or Christmas music when using code YEARC2021. Again, that's YEARC2021. Explore our digital catalog at slmusic.org. Simply liturgical music, reimagining the industry. From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 171 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy, produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you're new to the podcast, hello, we are so glad that you're tuning in with us. Each week, Ministry Monday offers a podcast episode for the church music minister on topics that seek to help you learn, grow, challenge, and inspire. And if you haven't done so already, I encourage you, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us. Last week on Ministry Monday, we started a mini-series focusing on the singing priest. Last week, we heard from Father Ricky Manalo on the first episode that really inspired this mini-series. This week, we are hearing one more replay episode on the topic before we switch to new episodes on this particular topic. In January 2020, I spoke to Nicholas Will, who was the director of music for the North American Pontifical College in Rome. Nick has great experiences with developing the singing voice of clergy, and that's where our conversation takes us today. The relationship between us as music ministers and the clergy with which and for which we serve is critical. Our clergy are our shepherds of our flock. They are our bosses, our administrators, and in many cases, our spiritual advisors. But I hope I don't ruffle too many feathers when I say that most clergy most likely do not enter the seminary to become leaders in solely music for the church. 
Their charisms span a different range, and music may or may not be one of them. Some priests and deacons love to sing, and some truthfully shy away from the opportunity. I can guess that most of us have experienced a liturgy in which the priest sung extraordinary parts of the Mass, and the spirit of the liturgy was absolutely elevated as a result. So what can we do to support our clergy as they develop their own musical voice? Today I speak to Nicholas Will, Director of Music for the North American Pontifical College, Vatican City State, where he oversees all aspects of liturgical music, serves as principal organist, and directs the seminary choir. Nick's work there centers around the musical and spiritual formation of seminarians, which is what we will focus on today. Nick joins us today from Rome. So Nick, so of course you are an organist by trade. You are from, of course, the United States. Where are you from again specifically? I grew up in a little town called Martinsburg, which is near Altoona in uh, western Pennsylvania, about 100 miles east of Pittsburgh. Okay. All right. But now you work in Rome. How did that, I mean, uh, what is your journey? How did your journey take you there? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, people ask that a lot. Uh, I, I'm the director of liturgical music at the Pontifical North American College here in Rome, and um, people say, well, how did you get that job? I think they assume that someone approached me or, or I have some in with, uh, you know, a, a bishop or something like that. And it's really not exciting at all. Um, I saw the job advertised on a sacred music website and <laughs> and uh, they brought me over here for an interview and, and offered me the position. Um, so it, it's been wonderful. We've been here for a little over a year now. We got here in August of 2018, and uh, it, it's been wonderful. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, so you mentioned, of course, that you are the music director at the Pontifical North American College. Um, can you give us an idea of what that looks like for you, what your day-to-day -day life is, what are some of your responsibilities there? Sure. In uh, just a word about the, the college itself, um, it's not a, a university per se. It's a, it's a, it's a seminary. Uh, we have about 180 seminarians from throughout the United States and Australia who live here at the, the college and they take some classes here, but most of their theology studies, uh, their theology classes are taken at various seminaries, or I'm sorry, various universities here in uh, Rome. And, and so here at uh, the college, they live together, they pray together, they receive formation from the priest uh, and religious on, on faculty here. Uh, they receive some instruction from me uh, as well. And uh, so most of what I do here uh, would be 
directing and leading and, and uh, offering the liturgical music. Um, we pray a lot and we have music uh, at most, pretty much every, every liturgy. So we have a morning prayer, mass and evening prayer uh, just about every day and uh, with music and all of those. So I, I'm the primary organist and I have a few of the seminarians who are actually organists too, who help out a little bit with that. Um, on Sundays, we have a you know, solemn mass and solemn vespers in the evening. It's very, very nice. Um, I have two choirs that I direct here. The seminary choir, which sings every Sunday morning and Sunday evening for vespers. Uh, it's about 30 members in that group. And then I have a smaller group uh, that does a little bit more chant, more intricate polyphony, things like that. Uh, with uh, some of the, the older seminarians and even some of the men who have already been ordained deacons and they sing for special events and, and things like that. And so primarily what I do is, is uh, I'm leading song prayer, which is really, really wonderful. It, it's uh, nice to be immersed in the liturgical year. You know, we celebrate all of the, the feast days. Um, very joyously, and so uh, I'm really much more aware of the liturgical calendar than I ever have been before. Uh, it's a little bit like a monastic community in that way, but I also teach, so <clears throat> and my teaching is in a couple of different ways. Uh, I offer private vocal coaching to the seminarians, particularly the fourth-year seminarians who are ordained deacons in the fall of their fourth year. They were just ordained a week ago today. And uh, so they, uh, many of them come to me who need a little bit of work on uh, singing, familiarity with notation, vocal production, that sort of thing, and just to get them comfortable with singing as deacons and, and later on priests. Uh, something new this year is I, I will be offering a class that's open to the whole seminary throughout the entire year, probably spread out through the entire year. And that'll be a combination of uh, history and development of sacred music, um, legislation on sacred music, so the, the magisterial documents, both Roman and American, uh, and also uh, sort of nuts and bolts aspects of administering a, um, a parish music program, you know. Um, what not to do uh, to your musician as a pastor, you know, and how to develop a music program, how to find a good musician, that sort of thing. Because I, I, I get so many questions, particularly from the men who are soon to be ordained priests. They say, well, what do I do in this situation? Or uh, what would you recommend for a, a, a parish that was looking to do this? And so I, I'm now incorporating into this class for the whole uh, the whole seminary, which I'm really excited about. So it's a great job for me. Um, immediately before this, uh, I was teaching full-time at Franciscan University of Steubenville and also was a parish music director in, in Pittsburgh. And uh, that was both really rewarding in, in different ways. Uh, this job, I, I think, makes really great use of, of my my skill set and, and my uh, my goals and, and, and my, my passion. So I'm, I'm really blessed to be here. You have such an opportunity, too, because you are forming, you're helping to form the musical education of clergy, which, of course, then, you know, bleeds into not just, like you said, not just the United States seminarians, but also in Australia as well. Um, so you mentioned that you've talked with 
clergy and seminarians, I should say, about some of the things they would like to know about, you know, dialoguing and working with music ministers, knowing how to hire them. Um, have you or, or the seminarians ever experienced so far a disconnect between applying what you teach them once they're back on the ground in a parish setting in the States? Is that ever something that you discuss or think about? Yeah, it'd be a little difficult to... Um... For me to judge that just because I've only had one year in, I think that's a, a conversation uh, that's easier to have a few years down the road. So ask me in, in, in five years, because I've worked with one class that's gone on to be ordained uh, priests, and some of them are back here finishing um, licentiates or doing doctoral studies. Many of them are back home. Um, so I haven't heard too much from them about about what they're experiencing. Uh, although I did I did meet uh, you know one newly ordained priest from the Archdiocese of uh, Washington D.C. and I had just said something which I had thought was kind of offhand at the time when I was teaching a class about you know I was trying to get across to them the importance of the priest singing their parts of the mass, um, the dialogues and things like that, and I said. You know, look, we have um, disagreements sometimes uh, about style when it comes to liturgical music. But I said, if you are doing your job, your musical job as a priest, if you're singing your parts and you're encouraging the people to sing their parts and all those dialogues, these other issues, they're not so um, pronounced. And I don't really know why that is. Well, I mean, I think it, I think it communicates the idea of a song liturgy, not just songs at mass, you know. Uh, and so a song liturgy can be in these different styles, and, and it just uh, lends a more cohesive unity to, to the liturgy. Anyway, so I, I made that comment. Uh, this priest uh, saw me at the ordination last week. He said, hey, I, I just had to tell you, you know, I, I remembered you saying that, and, uh, you know, I'm in this parish, and and there are, you know, different styles of music going on, and, and I'm, I'm not really particularly wild about all of it, but, you know, I've just been, we, I've been singing the, the, the dialogues in the Mass, and people really love it, and it, and it does create a um, healthier environment for, for liturgical music in general. And, and so, anyway, you never know, it, it's an awesome responsibility, because you don't know what people don't remember. I think a little bit of, not tension, but difference between what we do here musically and, and what you would um, find in a typical parish. We do a lot of chant, a lot of English chant, a lot of English chant. That's sort of the, the uh, bread and butter here for, for daily liturgies. And we do hymnody um, in English. Uh, we do Latin chant as well. We do a wide variety of, of choral music. Um, and there are some people who, you know, I, I think would say, well, we should be doing things that are that are more characteristic of what you would find in a typical parish. Which I understand that, but the community here is, you know, we, we're at mass together every day, we're at morning prayer together every day, vespers every day. It's it's not a monastic community, but it, it is it is more monastic than 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 a parish community, I think. And so the music sort of reflects. The community that we are, which is different than a parish. Why, one of the reasons we take music and liturgy so seriously here is to set an example for the seminarians um, that they can take some aspects, perhaps, of what we do here 
two parishes whenever they become pastors. You, you touched on something really important, though, that you teach seminarians how to sing and how to, to unify the Mass in that way, to help unify through those sung prayers and through some of the, the things that they can sing, which are sometimes op, you know optional, but are also so powerful when seminarians, or I should say, when clergy do end up singing them. So this may be kind of a loaded question, but um, it makes me wonder, you know, of course, the people that are listening to this podcast are mostly pastoral musicians on the ground, mostly in North America. So do you have any tips for music directors who want to encourage singing with their clergy in their parish setting? Sure. Well, first of all, I'll say I think this is perhaps the biggest issue that we face, the biggest challenge um, with regard to liturgical music. We've lost something um, I think by not singing, uh, you know, the dialogues, these very simple things, which might not seem like much at all. Um, but there was some wisdom in, in you know, the, the pre-Vatican II way of, of having, you know, the, the low mass and the high mass, where, you know, everything was either, you know, said or everything was either sung. Now, there's wisdom also in, in allowing degrees in the idea of, of progressive solemnity. Don't, don't get me wrong there. But, um, you know, the idea of uh, we so rarely ever experience a fully sung mass that we we kind of have forgotten what that is is like what i try to communicate to the seminarians and i'd say that maybe any any pastoral musicians listening uh i'd encourage them to do the same is talk to your clergy your priests and your deacons try to communicate to them that first of all it's it's not that difficult you know and that you are willing to to work with them I think a lot of, uh, for a lot of clergy, they might avoid singing because they think they're not good. They think they don't have a good voice. Or maybe some person, some terrible music teacher 40 years ago told them that they couldn't sing or something like that, you know. I mean, and we see that in society, right? We, uh, singing has, has, not become, has become something that only specialists do. You know, we, we listen to people on the radio or listen to recordings, um, you know, soloists at a microphone. And as a society, we, we've, we've kind of forgotten how to sing. That's reflected in the liturgy. You know, people say, well, I'm not a singer. Well, we're all singers. You know, God gave each of us a voice. A lot of it is just, you know, helping them to realize that, look, this is not an operatic performance. Uh, it, it's not that difficult. You can do it. I will work with you. And also, you know, even if it's necessary to even simplify some things for them, I mean, the, the church in her wisdom provides options, you know, simple and solemn tones and things like that. And it, it really, any, anyone can do it. Envision this. You're, you're at, at mass. Um, you just had a beautifully sung entrance procession. Maybe you have brass soprano descants or maybe it's Gregorian chant or something or whatever it is you know this beautiful chant everyone is uplifted as the mass begins and then you get in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit you know it's just it's startling it's startling if you listen to pope benedict the 16th uh, when he was when he, when he was pope and uh, if you listen to masses and vespers and things like that he did not have a a, a quote-unquote good voice now he was quite elderly by that point but he knew it was his job and he could sing relatively on pitch and, and for that reason it was so beautiful and so humble 
And uh, I think he's a, he's a good example for all clergy in that regard. I think we forget, too, that we, of course, are pastoral musicians. Lately, I've been describing what we do as ministers of inclusion with music to try and include those who maybe no, do not have fully professional abilities, but they, they feel this calling in their heart that God's having them sing, and we want to make sure that they feel valued and supported. And we work so hard to recruit volunteers for our music ministry that I think we might often forget that our clergy are people who also need to feel valued and supported and maybe also fostered in their musical abilities in the music ministry. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I offered to go rehearse with my priest. I mean, that's just not something that I do that often, except the exultet. He gets very nervous with the exultet. But other than that, I mean, really, I wonder if that's something, it's so simple that maybe a lot of clergy who don't, you know, who say, oh, I I don't want to sing. Maybe it just comes from the fact that they, like any other music minister, need some of that rehearsal time, some of that one-on-one with us as pastoral musicians so we can build them up and encourage them. Because like you said, they need to sing, but maybe they they feel, for whatever reason, self-conscious about their abilities. Sure, sure. I mean, one of the most rewarding aspects of my job is working with the newly ordained deacons. And they're coming from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of degrees of accomplishment with regard to music. There are, you know, a number of, of, of guys here with music degrees, um, and some guys who really, really struggle even to match pitch. But I'm, I'm telling you, from my experience with them, a lot of them are just—they're just a little bit, you know, they're a little bit intimidated, and uh, it's just—they just need a little bit of confidence. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they do perfectly fine. They're just not confident. Right. And they just need someone to tell them, you know, Father, that sounds pretty good. You're doing just fine. You know, maybe do this a little bit different than that. I worked with plenty of men here who didn't actually need a whole lot of vocal coaching. They just needed someone to tell them, you're doing fine. Keep up the good work. And after working with me a few weeks, you know, they tell me, I just feel so much more comfortable doing this. And uh, I, I think there are probably a lot of a lot of priests in that uh, who are approaching it in a similar way. And we could be, we as, as pastoral musicians can be a huge help in that regard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's so simple. So um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, of course, so you've been working in Rome, which to Catholics is pretty much the Mecca of our faith. It's the, the center, uh, metaphorically and physically, of course, of our faith, our faith practice, our faith tradition. And I want to hear your reflections, should you be so bold as to share. Are there anything, is there anything liturgically or any practices that you've noticed in Rome since you moved that maybe music ministers could use in their parish today or anything that you've just been reminded of from spending this time in the Vatican and in Rome? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, uh, being in Rome is... Uh, wonderful in so many ways you know you're constantly surrounded by beauty by history we're surrounded by the saints so many of the saints are um, entombed here or or parts of them are entombed here and uh, so the the depth of the faith throughout time um, is palpable here and and that is perhaps the greatest gift with with living in in Rome Liturgically, it's been fascinating. You know, I, I've um, we're we're here on campus most 
Sundays for Mass, but I have been able to attend weekday and Sunday Masses uh, throughout the city and, and throughout other parts of Italy and, and Europe, and and I've learned a lot, um, and it, it's it's interesting, you know. One thing I will say is it, it has given me a, a greater appreciation for what we have in the States, you know, I and mean, we obviously have our own challenges, and and we're not perfect, but uh, over here can be a real challenge to even have any sort of musical leadership. I'm, I'm talking professional or, or volunteer. It's not uncommon at all to go to a Sunday mass in, in a major church here in Rome in, in the center city and not have any music at all, uh, or most places would be staffed by volunteers. And, uh, you know, God bless them. And some of them do very, very well. But it's it's not what you would not what you would expect, you know, in, in most places in the States, even a mid-sized suburban parish, you know, it's sort of assumed that you're going to have some sort of music at, at every Sunday Mass, and that's that's just not the case here. It, it, it's given me an appreciation for what we do in the States uh, with regard to liturgical music and where we put our resources, you know. We're all underpaid and overworked. I'm telling you, don't come over to Italy <laughs> if you're looking for work as a church musician, because it's... It's it's pretty much impossible to to be a full time church musician in Italy. I'm trying to think, and and I've met a lot of people here. I don't know of any. I don't I don't know. I don't want to speak because uh, I don't know them all. But if there are full time church music positions, uh, you know, here in Rome itself, they're few and and far between, and probably less than than even a mid sized um, city like. Pittsburgh, where, where we're from. So I sort of knew that going over here, that, that the situation was, was different, but it really became uh, apparent quickly. The other thing is, you know, one of our challenges, you know, that we've been working on for the last 60 years or so is the idea of congregational singing, and we're still working through that and, and going through growing pains and figuring out what that looks and sounds like. Um, over here, it's 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 not so great um, in, in a lot of places. I'm, I'm kind of painting with a broad brush, but I think because um, in the States and in places like Germany and England, we had Protestants from, you know, and that's where a lot of our, our English language hymnody comes from, from different Protestant traditions. And so we, our neighbors were sort of already doing this. Over here, they, they approach congregational singing differently, you know, the way the, the organ is played, the way the introductions are, are given, you know, the use of cantors and choirs, that sort of thing. It's completely different, and, and, and it, I think in most cases is not quite as successful when it comes to congregational singing. I find it fascinating to, to look at how, you know, a completely different culture approaches this thing. I'd say, you know, what I've learned here, um, take heart. You are just about as likely to hear Palestrina on any given Sunday in a major, uh, even a mid-sized American city than you are in an Italian city. Uh, we're, We're doing okay. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of people throughout the world actually look to us for leadership. Uh, But by the same token, as Americans, ever get the chance to go abroad, by all means, please do, because you learn so much just by being wrapped around by by these buildings and and the instruments and uh, and the culture. Uh, It's been really uh, life-giving for my family and I. That's wonderful. So if we had to... 
summarize what you said. Maybe use what you have. Remember the simple beauty of the Mass. And then just sing when you can, as much as you can, with the voices you're given, it sounds like, both in volunteers and congregations, but also clergy. Sure. Yeah. Yes. yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, so one other thing I wanted to talk with you about. So, of course, we at NPM, we are an association of continued education and formation, um, and we emphasize all different types of education and in all different styles because, of course, our history in music and, of course, as a church is so varied. Um, you have a special penchant, if you will, for um, Gregorian chant and a little bit more traditional type of music. Not all, you know, not across the board, but you definitely have that as a strength. And you recently actually created a formation opportunity for pastoral musicians called the St. Gregory Institute. Um, what is that? Can you just give us a little bit of background about that real quick? Sure. So the St. Gregory Institute of Sacred Music uh, is a nonprofit organization which I founded to help form um, both current and future church musicians. Now, there are many opportunities for formation out there, university and conservatory programs, the work of NPM, Church Music Association of America, um, you know, any, any number of opportunities. But I really felt that there was something, something missing for a particular type of uh, musician. Uh, I've run into a lot, a lot of people who have, uh, maybe they have a music degree, but not in sacred music or not in organ or choral conducting. Maybe it's in music education or piano performance or something, and they're fine, fine, fine musicians, but they perhaps are lacking in some areas. Um, I think there's a need for further development in education, especially in what you might call more traditional forms of, of Catholic sacred music, the so Gregorian chant and, and Renaissance polyphony. Those are areas that even at the collegiate level are not often taught. And if they are taught, they're, they're taught in a sort of academic uh, abstract way. They're not necessarily taught as being parts of a living liturgy, which is fine. I mean, I like hearing, I like hearing a Renaissance polyphony in a concert hall, but it's missing something, you know, uh, it, when it's not uh, sung liturgically. And as I see these uh, seminarians who are being ordained and, and younger clergy in general, again, this is a this is a generalization. It's not 100% true, but a lot of younger clergy, I'd say, ordained in the last 15 to 20 years up through now, a lot of them are uh, have more experience with the church's uh, rich tradition. They're looking at it with fresh eyes, and they're saying, hmm, I, I think I'd like to recover these things when I'm a pastor. I think these could be useful uh, for building up uh, a devotion and a Catholic life. And so a lot of them are, you know, they're going out into parishes, and they want to and they want their musicians to do these things. Maybe their musician doesn't know how to do these things. You know, maybe they're a really great musician, but they don't know anything about Gregorian chant. What I'm encouraging the men here to do is, you know, not to make the same mistake that was often made in the past, right? That that stereotype of the pastor who comes in, the new regime, and fires everyone. You know, I mean, it's not. It's it's unjust. Uh, and and it's first of all, it's unjust. It's just not a good way to treat people and it's not good um, stewardship of your resources so 
I said, well, there should be a place for these people to go to learn these skills. Uh, also, we're living in an age when we're starting to rethink the idea that everyone, or at least most of society, must attend a four-year institution of higher education. I am a product of that uh, uh, process. I don't regret it at all. I got a wonderful education um, at a university and then a conservatory. But all you have to do is, is look at the news or, you know, uh, Look on Facebook, all, all sorts of data articles pointing to people looking for um, other opportunities. There's been a renewed push for trade schools and that sort of thing. And I think that's wonderful and, and, and wise. And so really the way I envision the St. Gregory Institute, uh, I envision it as a sort of vocational school for church musicians. So what does that mean in concrete terms? Well, um, last summer we had a, a three-day workshop on chant and polyphony. Uh, in Pittsburgh, it was well attended by, by local musicians. Uh, we had classes, rehearsals, and mass each day. I had uh, three, uh, or I had um, a series of four group organ lessons in Pittsburgh where everyone got together. We played for one another. I discussed the repertoire, practice methods, and it was really a wonderful series of, of classes. Uh, currently, we're offering uh, regular organ lessons, both uh, through Dr. Neil Stahursky who is uh, an organist and colleague in Pittsburgh, and myself online via Skype because I'm here in Rome. Now, uh, when I come back to the States for good, still not sure when that is, the, the plan is to offer semester-long courses, to launch uh, semester-long courses in, in organ playing, improvisation, Gregorian chant, uh, conducting, um, liturgy, um, all of the things that, that you would expect um, to learn in a sacred music program. A lot of very exciting possibilities. I'm uh, really, really excited about it. Oh, the other thing, um, next summer, summer 2020, we are bringing the first organist from St. Peter's Basilica here in Rome to uh, give a, a recital at uh, St. Paul Cathedral in Pittsburgh and also to give a, a master class in improvisation. So there's lots going on. But uh, I'd encourage people, if you're interested in, in, in hearing uh, more about what the Institute is doing, to find us on Facebook or uh, visit our website. That's um, stgregoryinstitute.org. All right. Well, Nick, I thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything. And thank you also, if I can say this, thanks so much for being a part of ministry, but also representing us in the United States and Rome. And I just ask that you pray for us. Pray for the United States right now um, and just continue to keep us updated on what you're doing. I will. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Nick for staying up late in Rome to interview for our Eastern Standard Time-based podcast. For more information about the St. Gregory Institute, check out the show notes on Ministry Monday's website for this episode, or go straight to stgregoryinstitute.org. 
Today's formation going forth digs a little deeper into the sung options offered in the Roman Missal. We encourage you to go to the digital resource library of the NPM website and choose from the convention, then choose liturgy. We have multiple breakout sessions recorded discussing chants from the Roman Missal. Check it out this week and invite your clergy to listen in too. The digital resource library portion of NPM's website is one of the many benefits of being a member of NPM. The cost of a single person NPM membership breaks down to less than $9 per month, cheaper than a Netflix membership. The formation options, both digitally and at local and national events, help you gain skills that are worth so much more than the cost of the membership. The investment in your continued education is our investment too and is a valuable 2020 New Year's resolution. Becoming a member of NPM can help you get there. For more information on how to become a member of NPM, go to npm.org forward slash join. The recording of Candlelight Carol was produced by Collegium Records, and we'd like to give a special shout out and thank you to the Edition Peters Group, C.F. Peters Corporation, for allowing us to use the rights for Candlelight Carol for this podcast today. The recordings of Ite Misa Est and Creator of the Stars of Night were both produced by GIA Publications. Today's episode of the podcast was recorded and produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's all for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thank you for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday.